What's up, guys? This is Ryan Flanagan, and you're listening to my one-on-one podcast presented by Lacrosse All-Stars. Today, we're going one-on-one with three-time MLL All-Pro Tucker Durkin. Tucker grew up just outside of Philadelphia, and he'll tell us about how his best friend recruited him away from the baseball diamond and onto the lacrosse field. He'll talk about how he originally committed to play at Bucknell in his junior year of high school, and then switched his commitment to Johns Hopkins just before his senior year. Tucker's the head coach at Bryn Athen College in Pennsylvania, and he'll talk about his decision to leave corporate America and become a full-time professional lacrosse person with Bryn Athen, the MLL, and his sponsor, STX. Tucker Durkin, thanks for joining us, but a pleasure to have you on. Flanny, thanks a ton, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. How's it going? I know uh, we're all in the lacrosse world, so it's super busy, and I know you're probably trying to just keep your head above water. Yeah, trying to... Uh... You know, balance coaching at Bryn Athen and, and getting ready for the MLL season and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. Super busy right now, just getting started with the college season here. But it's all good. It's all, all good, good stuff. stuff. Yep, yep. 2014 all-world defenseman, best defenseman in the world. Did you ever think that you'd be hearing that? No, I, I probably honestly didn't. Um, you know, growing up, I was I was used to love lacrosse. I loved playing basketball probably more. I loved playing football probably more. Um, my first love was probably playing golf. Um, and I love playing lacrosse for kind of, uh, a lot of reasons, but once I got to know the game of lacrosse, I kind of thought it was the the best attributes of all those other sports. And once I figured that out, um, you know, it was kind of, I I knew it's the sport I wanted to pursue, but I, I never thought, you know, Kyle, I never thought Hopkins. I never thought MLL. I never thought Team USA. Um, I was always a goal-driven person, but I, I tried not to think too far ahead. And, um, you know, I think staying hungry and, and not thinking too far ahead really helped me. So when did it all start for you? How old were you when you first picked up a stick? And, and what kind of drew you to the game? Yeah, so I'd say I first picked up a stick in it's either fourth or fifth grade. And I was actually I was playing baseball. I played baseball and lacrosse through eighth grade. So I'm the youngest of five. I've got three older brothers and an oldest sister. And they all played lacrosse, but they all played football and they all played basketball. None of them were totally focused on lacrosse. I think what, what really got me, really got me into lacrosse, in addition to the other things I mentioned, one of my best friends, Mike, Mike Noon, who actually plays on the Ohio Machine. He was a hound for a little bit, I think. Yeah, he was a he was Charlotte Hound for a little bit and current current machine guy. Played at Lehigh as well. He was super into it. And he he was my best friend growing up. Uh, we were pretty much inseparable. And, uh, you know, when he knew I was playing baseball, he basically, you know, grabbed me by the shoulder and, and, and made me play lacrosse. And, and I liked baseball when I was younger. Um, and I'm obviously happy that he did. But I think, you know, he's a big part of why, why I really started to focus on it uh, in like fourth or fifth grade. But, yeah, I, I probably owe him a lot of credit. When you first started, did, did you jump right into playing defense or were you playing midfield? A lot of us, I know I started, I played midfield up until up until eighth grade. And then I started to get pulled into to playing defense in middle school. What was it like for you? Were you, were you kind of jumping all over the place? Yeah, I was jumping all over. I was either midi or D. I uh, kind of played a little bit of both. And actually, up until my sophomore year of high school, I used to take every face off on every team I was on. I always used to take the face off with a short stick. And if I win it, run off, grab a D stick and then go play close D. And, uh, so I was a little bit, a little bit of a hybrid in that respect. I, I had a crazy face off stance. It was absolutely, totally ridiculous. Um, but it was, it was kind of funny looking at pictures. I, I've got some old pictures of me in this face off stance that just looks absurd with a short stick a little a little different <laughs> yep a little different than what you're used to now with, with all the guys in the MLL that have specialized it so much and made it a total different craft from when from when you and I were younger just trying to push people out of the way and pick up the ground ball yeah I was in like a sprinter stance like all the weight on my hands probably everything that you're not supposed to do heavy clamp heavy clamp guy <laughs> so what was we, we've talked to a lot of the uh we've talked to a lot of the long island guys that played in the pal league and long island marcus holman was a thousand town lacrosse guy where he, he played i think it was called soft stick lacrosse in baltimore what was it like for you growing up in pennsylvania what was the kind of how was the rec league made up yeah so i played for abington lacrosse which was just a local town rec rec league um and it was good man it was nothing Nothing too intense, you know. It was, uh, you know, during the spring I'd, I'd do it in conjunction with playing baseball at my grade school, and then I think we'd probably play in maybe three or four tournaments during the summer. Nothing during the fall. Maybe uh, 
one get together during the winter and, and that was it. Were you playing on in these tournament teams? Was that with your your rec program, or was it like a special? And now everybody's in the club world. Were you in the club world, or was it still just, you know, kind of an extension of your spring rec season? Up until eighth grade, it was all rec. It was all Abington Lacrosse Club (ALC). And then in ninth grade, I started playing with the Dukes. You know, I was pretty much played Dukes from ninth through twelfth grade, and even the Dukes, man. Like when when I was in high school, it was nothing you know, like the club scene today, um, no practices, at least as far as I can remember. And it was just three, four tournaments during the summer with, you know, a couple indoor tournaments in the winter, maybe one fall tournament. I guess that kind of sounds like a lot now that I'm saying it, but it just doesn't seem like it was as much of a commitment as it is now. Yeah. It's a total different world. And then you went, you're only a few years younger than me and it was, yeah, what we see today and I'm involved in it and you're involved in it. We'll talk about it in a bit, but it's a total different, different club environment, but you're playing in eighth grade. You finally hang up baseball before, right when you're going into high school, how do you right. end up at, at LaSalle college high school? It's, it's one of the private schools in the area. How did that, I mean, do you, when you're in Philly, do you pick amongst all these different schools? There's Malvern Prep. There's, you know, a ton of different options. How did you get to LaSalle College? Yeah, so I actually kind of had a, a unique, unique path there. Well, I'm a legacy. So my dad went there. All my brothers went there. So that was the obvious choice for me going into ninth grade. And I actually went to Penn Charter. So I went to Penn Charter for a year. Beat up on then, Joey Sankey a little bit, right? Yeah, well, Joey wasn't there yet. Ah. Joey wasn't there yet. So I was a ninth grader. He was an eighth grader. I don't think he... He might have been in the school as an eighth grader, but uh, we weren't playing against each other yet. And, um, you know, I, I had a good good experience at Penn Charter, but honestly, all my friends, uh, all my friends I grew up with, all my friends I played lacrosse and played sports with, it, they were at LaSalle, and that was kind of where I was meant to be. So after my freshman year, I transferred there, and um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy I made that choice. I had a great experience there. So we talked to Will Manny and Tom Schreiber earlier in, on, on separate podcasts, and they talk about you. you on Long Island, you take an exam and you kind of you go through. It's almost like your SATs going into high school, and you find out what private schools you get into, and then from there you decide, okay, am I going to go to Chaminade or St. Anthony's or St. John's or Kellenberg or wherever? Is it a similar process? I know you're a legacy, but in general, is it a similar process in Philly, or it's kind of you go and apply specifically to each school? You go and apply to each school, yeah. So each school has their own test, and they they look at that, and then they look at you know, how your GPA was in, in grade school. And I wasn't a good test taker. I'm still, I'm, I was never a good test taker, unfortunately. But uh, I was able to get into where I wanted to get into, fortunately. But yeah, just uh, each school had their own, you know, multiple go, choice. Go through it kind of separately. That's similar. So so we totally off topic. We That's kind of, kind of at the elementary school levels here in Charlotte. It's kind of like that where you go through and you apply at the elementary school level to some of the private schools. So just shows you how, wow. how competitive, yeah, how competitive some of this stuff is getting. Where you could be, you know, your kid is is five years old, and you find out he's not getting into an elementary school. That's that would be a <laughs> tough one for me. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a tough one to swallow. I might have to have a word with the, uh, you know, the admissions department on that one. <laughs> so you had it. You had a pretty special class at LaSalle. I know you were there, and, and you guys went on to have a lot of success. Who else were you playing with there? I know you were you were playing for Tony Rash, who, who's a legend in our sport, coaches the U.S. indoor team. You know, what was that group of guys you talk about your buddies? Who who were some of those guys that you went through LaSalle with? And then talk about Tony Rash and kind of the impact he had on your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with respect to the guys I played with, yeah, we had, we had a really, really talented class and a really good, really good group of guys who I'm still, you know, they're some of my best friends today. I mean, we, we all still hang out all the time. Um, you've got Mike Noon, who I mentioned, was a Lehigh guy, went to Lehigh. He was a defender with me. Uh, Tyler Houchins who had a great career at Drexel. Um, Tyler Narr, who had a great career as a face-off long-stick midi at Georgetown. Uh, Nico Amato at the back end, the goalie. You know, obviously his resume speaks for itself. This is just the defensive end of the field we're talking right now. Four long, four yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, this was, yeah, that was just a D. Um, and then we also had, we can get, get into some short-stick D middies. We had a guy, Gordy Wells, who was a beast, and he went on to play at uh, Fairfield, did really well there. So we're up to um, is that five five guys division one from one high school team so far? Yeah, yep. Mark DeFranja, who plays he's a another D guy who plays on uh, plays on the Florida launch or he played on the Florida launch last year. He's on the Bayhawks this year. Um, he was a sophomore when I was a senior. Um, at the midfield, we had Pete Schwartz, who went to Harvard, had a really good career there. 
Um, we had two Bogorowskis, Derek Bogorowski and Jack Bogorowski. They both went to Lehigh. Jack went to Hopkins for a year. Uh, Westy Hopkins was an attackman. Uh, he went to Notre Dame. He's a Notre Dame guy. Yep. Yeah. Good career at Notre Dame. Um, and I really hope I'm not missing anybody. If they're listening to this, I'm sorry. I think that's, I think that's pretty much it. And Randy Forrester, who went to Penn State. And this um, is your high school. This was your practice environment every day. I mean, you went out and, and banged in with these guys from ninth grade. I mean, I'm sure some of them you were playing with before that. But but you walked into practice every day with. I know four of those guys are in the MLL, if not more. Uh, and that was that was just practice. Yeah, it was just practice, and you know. I'm sure you you would say the same thing about you know your college and, and and high school, but we were all super super competitive. So you know, practices were like games, and we were we would kill each other, and mm-hmm. it was it was a blast. <laughs> and Tony Tony so. Rash is one of I, I, you and I played for Tony down in Florida just a few months ago, and and he, I know he coached the U.S. indoor team and has coached with the Baltimore or the Chesapeake Bayhawks for for years now, and he's one of the most respected lacrosse guys in our sport. And he's very—he's got a very calm and cerebral approach when he's coaching us. I don't know if it's like that in the high school level, but I know with us, it's very—it's right. definitely not a big yellow screen. What was it like playing for him? And and he was a great defenseman in his own right when he played uh, back for the Philadelphia Wings in the indoor game. Oh yeah, no. Well, Flanny, you won't—I challenge you to go find me a bigger t- Tony Rush fan. Uh-huh. I am uh, I am a huge, huge Tony Rush fan. Uh, he's one of my idols. He's he's been a mentor. You know what I learned from him, lacrosse wise. You know you can't even can't even uh, you know put a number to it or can't even put a value to it. Um, and then also as a person, he's one of the best people I've ever met. Um, just a genuine, very very good person. And it's funny if you ever talk to somebody about Tony Rush, and, and you're, you're a great example. You're just talking about. You will never find anyone say anything bad about Tony Rush, and anyone. And I've met tons of people, and we always we, we talk about Tony Rush. You won't find anyone that says anything bad about Tony Rush, and that just kind of speaks to the type of person he is. Um, so I was, you know, extremely fortunate to play for him. Um, not only what I learned lacrosse wise, but also you know being a man, being a being a good person. So yeah, he is he is the man. <laughs> he was a, he's an unbelievable guy to learn from, and, and you, you mentioned it. He was one of the guys you've always admired and look up to. Who were some of those other guys as a young defenseman? You know starting lacrosse back in, in fifth grade and then playing all the way through, who were some of those guys that you were looking up to as you grew up and as you continued to become one of the, the best defensemen in the world today? I used to follow college lacrosse. I wasn't as crazy into it as I think a lot of kids are now. Um, one guy that I looked up to, he's a Philly guy, he's a D guy. He played at Virginia as Ken Clawson, obviously still playing Kenny. I remember going to Duke's tournaments or and going to high school games and watching him play and I was just like oh my god and your like, styles couldn't be any yeah. more different yeah very very, <laughs> very different um very different styles but I remember watching him and just being blown away just being blown away watching him play in high school um so he's the guy that you know I, I looked up to I didn't see him play a ton but when I did I was always you know kind of just a jaw-dropping experience you know, when I got later in high school, I knew where I was going. I, I watched Mike Evans a lot. You know, I loved the way he played. That's a little bit more of my style. You know, prides himself on being physical, being tough, also moves his feet extremely well. Um, but I'd say those are two guys that, you know, I, I really looked up to. You know, Kenny when I was a little bit younger than Mike as I got a little older. And then uh, and then obviously playing for Coach Petro, you had to watch some of his, his film once you got to Hopkins, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you'll never, you know, you have to basically pry it out of coach P to, to talk about his playing days. I, I always wish he would, you know, kind of share some stories when he was in college, you know, playing against so-and-so, you know, you hear about him from other people, but you never hear about him from him. And, uh, you know, you've got to search online to find some videos and watch him, but, you know, he's obviously considered the best defenseman ever. And, um, you know, a phenomenal coach in his own right, obviously, probably consider myself the luckiest defenseman to have Tony Resch as my high school coach, Dave Petromala as my college coach, who were roommates uh, for Team USA, ironically. Um, so I've just been so, so fortunate with really good coaching. And, uh, you know, can't say anything, anything more positive about Tony Resch and uh, 
Dave Petromala and, you know, unbelievable coaches. Unbelievable. Just, yeah. And two of the, like you said, two of the best guys, two of the best coaches in the sport. And I know I get excited every time with ESPN. We always show clips of something Petro did against Syracuse back in the day. And obviously right. Quint, Quint was back with those guys. So every time I, I like get excited and try to ask for more of, can we see coach Petro do that? Can we see when he went over the head <laughs> on Gary gate or can we see right. some checky through? Right. I loved it. I know the first time I ever, and I don't know if he did this when you were there, but, but I took a visit to Hopkins when I was in high school and he went out and played the attackman just for a little bit, but just for one drill was throwing right. checks on the attackman. And I remember being in high school at that time saying, I've never seen anybody throw checks as fast and as accurate as what he was doing. It was like, Oh yeah. Incredible. Yeah, there, was, there was a couple of times. So when we would play Virginia, my freshman year, we were getting ready to play Virginia and um, Virginia, I think they had Bray Malfris, and uh, another long stick midi or somebody else, they were very aggressive off the face-off deck. So I don't know who their face-off guy was, but they, they weren't winning a, a ton. But whoever would on the other team that would pick it up, their poles and their other short stick would just hound the face-off guy. They'd lock off and they'd hound the face-off guy. And we were doing a drill that was trying to emulate, you know, Virginia's aggressiveness off the face-off X. And we weren't doing a good job being aggressive on our face-off guys. So he, he picks up a, uh, a long pole and the drill is the faceoff guys just run, try to run by him in like a, a short area. And he absolutely ripped every <laughs> one of our faceoff guys. Like these are 22, 23, 24, you know, in their sorry, prime. Yeah. In their yep. prime. And he's, you know, coach P's 40. He's got a, he's got a solid gut on him. Um, but he was absolutely ripping them. Absolutely. Oh. Ripping. It's insane. And then we were also doing another drill. I think it, it might have been the same week preparing for Virginia or it might have been Carolina, somebody. But our attackmen, you know, work on tucking their sticks coming above GLE. Yep. And he was he was the guy that you had to kind of get by, and he was just absolutely ripping our guys. Yep. Uh, so that's you know, the one I watched him. I, I, that's the drill I, I watched him play defense on guys, and it was like, oh, my, these guys don't. Uh, Stephen Boyle was going through the drill. I think Stephen was a freshman. And he, I think he ripped Stephen Boyle's stick right out of his hand. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I've seen him do that multiple times. I, would, you know, it would all the other D guys would be like, you know, can we try this? Like, <laughs> yeah, nope, we not, know we can't do it, but you know, yep, yep, you'll poke him and ask him. So, so yeah. going through, you, you know, how did you? I mean, we, we, how did you get to Hopkins? I mean, you you went through your plan for Coach Resch at LaSalle. What was the recruiting process like for you? And you, you mentioned you played for the Dukes and. You, you played in a few tournaments, but how did that whole thing unfold where, where you went from LaSalle to Hopkins and how did you decide on Hopkins? So believe it or not, I was actually committed to Bucknell my junior year. So junior, I think it's September 1st. I don't know if it's still it's September 1st. Your junior year was like the first time you could get, you get letters you know, September yeah, 1st. You get letters, and it was like such a big, a big time. You're looking forward to it all summer. You know, I was, I was getting some letters, but I wasn't getting, you know, a lot of looks from top schools like the, you know, the Hopkins, the Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, Syracuse. I just wasn't getting those looks my junior year, at least early in my junior year. So kind of went through the recruiting process, you know, played in fall recruiting tournaments, played in the winter. And, um, you know, Bucknell was a school I was talking to. And, you know, I had to get my SATs up a little bit and continue to work on my grades. And I was kind of, you know, I thought in my mind, I was like, you know, I, I really want to go to a top school. I want to go to a Hopkins. I want to go to a Duke. But I, I, I guess, you know, when I, when I looked out, back at it, I was kind of thinking, you know what, maybe, uh, you know, Bucknell is, is the best choice for me. If these other schools are, um, you know, not looking at me, then, you know, kind of screw them <laughs> is the kind of way I – I thought about it, um, and I committed to Bucknell, I think it was March of my junior year, and um, make that commitment, play through my junior year, you know, so play my junior spring season, played pretty well, played pretty well, and I knew I was, you know, about midway through my junior year, I knew, uh, you know, some coaches had asked about me, some, you know, higher level coaches had asked about me, and I kind of told my high school coach I was, uh, you know, pretty set with my ways with Bucknell, I was happy with Bucknell, I liked Coach Federaca, Coach Myers, um, and then beginning of the summer, going into my senior year, I'm still playing in these tournaments with the Dukes. Get another call from my coach, and they're like, "Are you sure? You know, are you sure you're uh, you're set? You can you can kind of go where you want at this point. If 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 you want, you know, you can you can explore other options." And I, I remember thinking about it for a couple of days, and I was like, "You know what? You know, I've got to I've got to go to the best spot that I can." Um, you know, and I kind of weighed the options, and I 
told Buck now that I wanted to consider other options. And then I, I looked at Hopkins and I was talking to Duke for a little bit and I, I took one visit down to Hopkins and I was, I was pretty much sold after that visit. And I, I knew that's where I wanted to go. You, you go through the process. What was it like that first time you stepped on campus for the first time? And you're, you're a Hopkins Blue Jay and you got all your garb on. I'm sure it was a team workout. You know, what was that first experience? What's your first memory as you think back to your Hopkins experience? Just the energy, man, the energy, um, you know, you've, I'm used to a team in, in high school, maybe 25 guys and we're all, you know, high school guys, we're excited. Then you get to, you get to college, your first workout, your first practice, and it's 50 men, 50, like, you know, four years older than you, three years older than you, 50 guys like yelling, screaming, excited. And I was just like, oh my God, this is freaking awesome. This is awesome. And I just, you know, I, I loved it. I just love the energy, the family atmosphere. It was day one. I kind of, uh, you know, got that feel and I loved it. And that was something you and I have coached together at times. And that's something And you like when you're coaching at the youth level, when you get to the club scene, you're coaching some of these younger guys. It's such a hard thing to emulate just creating yeah. that environment. Right. And it's a, you and I, I know when, when we're together, we're trying to do it just to get kids to experience it because it's addictive. You know, once you're right. in it, you're like, I have to be part of this type of pumping and yelling and, and, got, and this excitement. Cause it's going right. to create a really fun environment. Yeah. It, there's, there's really nothing like it. There's really nothing like it when, you know, you've got that many guys that are that excited that all have one goal and uh, you know, they're just totally invested. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So you get to Hopkins. How do you, how do you end up at number 51? That's kind of an odd number. Yeah, it is a very odd number. And I like to tell people that Dick Buckus is my idol. <laughs> So I, I think I've, I've I've done some interviews actually in the past, and I've said that. So you somebody might be able to dig that up, but it's not true. It's um it's not true at all, actually. I, I would have uh, I wouldn't have fact checked it. I would have just run with it. I would have yeah, put it on yeah. all the time. You know, I was thinking about maybe just saying that right now, but it's a I'll, I'll give you the truth. So we get the email going into my freshman year at Hopkins from Coach Benson. And, you know, he shoots out a bunch of numbers to all the freshmen. He kind of says, you know, first come, first serve. Uh, what number do you guys want? Here's what's available. And uh, I didn't answer the email. Sends another email with some, some other options. And, uh, you know, I remember looking at it. I, I should have been answering these emails. I don't know. Like, looking back, I don't know what I was thinking, not answering emails from a college coach going into my freshman year. But anyways, I got stuck with 51. I guess it was one of the last numbers that was available. So, <laughs> that's the story. Yeah, that's the story, man. <laughs> no exciting backstory. It's just you didn't answer your emails. Now, if one of your kids did that today when you're coaching, you'd, you'd chew into them a little bit. But Yeah, I would be livid. <laughs> I would be livid. So. Well, one of the things that I've always said is because is, we all – and again, going back to the youth, the kids you coach today, it's like kids are crazy over a number. Like we have kids that oh, have to be number 11 because that's Joey Sankey's number. I have to be number right. – and I'm in, I'm in the Carolinas, so it's like, I got to be four. I got to be one because of bitter sure. or Luke Goldsucker. But but you are a per example of like, hey, 51 is totally odd. Nobody wanted it. I got stuck with it, and and now there's kids wearing it because Tucker Durkin wears it. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's like definitely not a lo your typical lacrosse number. It's more of like a football number. But uh, you know, I'm kind of happy I got it. It's kind of a different different feel. A lot of people say it fits my personality, fits the way I play. So, yep. Yeah, you play it. like Dick Buckus. I mean, you play like one of those <laughs> linebackers back in the day. So if Dick wore 51, that would be a perfect fit. Yeah. Actually, Tony Resch got me a shirt, like a Dick Buckus shirt with his face on the shirt. And it's an awesome shirt. And it says like 51 on the back. Um, and I lost it, unfortunately. <laughs> and I've went on like Amazon. I've searched for this shirt all over like all over the internet and i can't find it so i'm like really really bummed out about it, it no awesome shirt so you got you step on campus you start as a freshman you had a, you had a really good sophomore year and, and i was i remember this pretty well because i was in college in 2011 and, and then got into the, the broadcasting world shortly after but you had a really good year in 2011 second team all-american but the jump you made from 11 to 12 and i remember it distinctly just watching you play as, as a sophomore and then into your junior year where it was clear you were, you were kind of head and shoulders above everybody else in the country at that point. What was it? You know, what was it? Was it something off the field? Was it just work on the field? What helped you make that jump from 11-12 where you went from you know, a really good year, a second-team All-American and one of the better events in the country, but but like I said, in 12, 
you're as good as it gets. I mean, there, there was nobody better than you then. I think that year I really, uh, you know, I worked hard. I always kind of prided myself in the off season, the summers, like I made a lot of sacrifices to try to be in the best physical shape I could be. So, you know, every year I felt very good physically, physically. I think my junior year, I kind of, you know, being an upperclassman, I, f I felt a little bit more responsible um, for the defense. So I think my, my freshman year, I was kind of more or less, I was, I was doing my best, but I was along for the ride with the older guys. Uh, my sophomore year, we still had some older guys, uh, some older D guys that were the leaders. I think junior year, I felt really kind of a need to bring up the level of my play as like a upperclassman. We didn't have a, we had some good senior leaders, but you know, no senior starters on defense. And I, I kind of felt responsible for, for the defense in, in a lot of respects, along with, you know, Pierce Bassett, Chris Leitner, and those guys who played great as well. Um, but I think just mentally, I, I felt like I needed to just do everything I could to, to help the defense, help the team. So I think it was a, it was a big mental, uh, mental thing for me. Um, also, I, I think junior year is when I, I really became a film guy. I really became a guy that watched, you know, I was obsessed with watching film and watching my opponent. Um, and like, I'd, I'd always pride myself before a game. Like if I didn't know the other guy's tendencies better than him, then I just didn't feel prepared. I didn't feel prepared. And I'd talk to guys like later and be like, you know, you do this, 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 and they wouldn't even like off the field and like the summer and they wouldn't even know it. So I was just like a really, really into film, really watching, watching guys and, uh, you know, studying our, my opponent and our opponent. I think that was kind of a big, a big jump for me as well. Just to, to put it in perspective, what, what are those? So you, you talk about how great a shape and how hard you worked in the, during the summer as the sacrifice. What is it a, a day? Just to put it in perspective again for, for kids that are listening, what is a workout like? You know, just your typical Tuesday workout go, between either going into your freshman year when, when yourself and a lot of guys come in, in the best shape of their life. You know, just a normal day. Uh, what does that consist of? Yeah, so I would say a normal like summer day or you know winter winter day preparing for the season. I'd go out and do about an hour of running. You know, I'd normally follow uh, Coach Jay Dyer. He would have a, a big plan for us. Obviously, I'm sure you know you had a strength conditioning coach similar send you plans. Um, do about an hour of running. That was pretty intense. That was like you know sometimes they were track workouts. Sometimes they were 300. Sometimes they were. Um, you know, full field sprints, agilities, all, all sorts of stuff. You know, certain days I'd like to add a little bit, you know, just to try to give myself the edge, even though those workouts were, were kind of insane. Um, and then about an hour, hour and a half of lifting. So just kind of back to back, bang it out. That two, two and a half hour workout is, is the regular. And that's, like you said, that's the kind of, that's to continue progressing throughout your career, which is when you talk to some young guys, the idea of just being on your own and working out for two and a half hours just seems like insanity. But that was what was expected. That's what you had to do. Right. It's what you had to do. And that doesn't even count, like getting a stick in your hand and hitting the wall or throwing around with your buddies. And, you know, for me, it wasn't. And I think this is the same for a lot of the guys. It's not like it was it was work. It was hard work. But like it's you're doing it because you want to you want to get better. You want to help your team. You want to you know, achieve your goals. So I never really looked at it as work. It's like, it's what I had to do. If I didn't mm -hmm. do it, I, I felt horrible. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I just mentally and like physically, I was like, you know, if I missed a day, I, I would get like all down. All down You're in now. a funk. Yep. <laughs> you go into a funk. We yeah. would, we would all, so what we did in high school, and it was similar. We had a group of guys that we grew up playing with. That all put, We would literally, all of us would do our running and we'd, we'd run to the high school to meet each other. We'd, we'd yeah. play, we'd play basketball for whatever it was, an hour, hour and a half, however long we could play for until it kicked us off. And then you'd all go work out together. And it was like, like you said, it was, that was as fun as anything. I mean, we, we yeah. enjoyed that as much as anything else we did. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it was like the highlight of your day. Mm -hmm. you go with a couple of your buddies, work out hard. And, you know, all the guys that I mentioned, all my high school buddies, those were the guys that we'd be working out with. So it was fun. It was competitive. As you look back on your career, and you're obviously incredibly successful individually, and, and you had a ton of All-American, Defenseman of the Year, every award that you could win, you, you basically won as a defenseman. We don't really count the Tawartan because it, it's such a stretch for a defenseman to win it. But what are the two to three games that you remember you know as you look back on your career the two or three games you'll always remember you know looking back on everything yeah i'd have to say my junior year versus virginia it was one versus two we played down in down in charlottesville um i think that game either went into double overtime or 
I think it was double overtime. And it was just an awesome back and forth game. Incredible environment at Clockner. Um, Steele was still there, right? Yeah, Steele was there. So I was, I was matching up with him. He's obviously a great player. You know, one of the guys I, I matched up with Steele for four years or three years, my freshman through junior year. Um, so we had great battles. But that game was awesome. It was back and forth. And then we won it in um, double overtime. John Rannigan coming down the alley. Yep. Lefty. Yep. The Mar- yeah. Any of the Maryland games? Yeah, the Maryland games were great. Another one I definitely remember is my junior year as well. We played in pouring rain at Bird Stadium, and I think that went into double overtime as well. Um, that was a game Zach Palmer had an around-the-back shot from like you know, 10 or 11 yards. It was kind of a ridiculous sports, sports center top 10 play. Um, and then Kyle Wharton hit the game winner off the wing. Somebody passed it to him from behind. He hit the game winner off the wing. Mm-hmm. That game was awesome. And then he did a face-first slide on the field. It was insane. Very reminiscent of when Paul scored the overtime game winner at Vrabel, probably, I don't know what it was. It had to be mid two thousand or late 2000s, and he, he went back and did the uh, the Blue Jay sign when he scored. Did, the, I don't remember that. Did he? I, I'll have to ask Kyle if he was if he was uh, taking that from Paul. <laughs> Might have been to follow up on that. Yeah, so then the, the flip side of it, 2013, you're on the team. You guys are the, are the first team in Hopkins history that, that doesn't make the NCAA tournament. You're 9-5. and five. I think a lot of people had a feeling that you would make it, but but you end up not making it. What was it like when that announcement was made that you guys weren't in the NCAA tournament for the first time ever? Yeah, it was tough, man. It was tough. You know, obviously at Hopkins, there's really high expectations, not only by our, the players on the team, you know, the coaches, obviously, um, the alumni, the fans. It's it's kind of unlike any other in terms of what what's expected of you. Um, and to be honest with you, we just didn't have, you know, we I think we beat Virginia that year. We beat Maryland that year. And we, and we beat somebody else good that year. Normally wins that will get us in. Um, but the way it worked out, we just we just didn't win enough didn't win enough close games. We lost to Loyola. We, we lost a tough one to Albany. Um, and it was tough, man. It was tough. I think, if I remember correctly, we, we had a really good feeling that we weren't getting in before. So it wasn't a total shock. Um, but, you know, we all watched the show together, obviously, just to just to watch it and see. But, uh, yeah, man, it was it was definitely difficult. Definitely difficult. And that, that same year was when they announced that, that Hopkins was going to join the Big Ten. So, so it obviously wasn't going to impact your career, but – Looking back on that now, I mean, you went from being independent to kind of playing whoever you wanted, and, and there's arguments that, that part of the reason you didn't – I mean, there's arguments that if you were in the Big Ten that year and you beat Maryland, that you probably would have been either either a lock to get in if you would have won the Big Ten or or strongly considered being right. in your shoes now. I mean, what do you think about that decision to join the Big Ten? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good decision. I mean, looking back on that year, we we just didn't get it done. Uh, we didn't get – we didn't win enough games, so I, I – you know, I – that's kind of what I think about that. I don't think we deserve to got in to get in, honestly. But I think being in, in the Big Ten is a good move for Hopkins. It kind of expands their horizon, gives them a, not that they don't have enough rivals, but you know some new teams to play, some new places to travel. I think it's exciting. I think it's cool. It's yeah, it's, it's huge for the sport. Just getting some of those bigger, getting a big conference like that, and getting the Big Ten network involved is just more exposure for our our sport, which is obviously always a positive. But looking, kind of stay on on that 2013 year, which is which is obviously a big one for you. You're one of those guys, and, and Marcus Holman's in the same pool, where you went from the NCAA season right into the MLL, right into Team USA tryouts. As you look back on on all of that, you know what was what was it like stepping on an MLL field for the first time, and then kind of that whole roller coaster ride right through tryouts. Yeah, it was it, it all went pretty fast, and I remember you know not to keep touching on 2013, but, you know, after that season ended, you know, I was just so pissed off. I just wanted to, you know, kind of just go play. I just kind of wanted to go play. Um, so I, I think I was pretty motivated that summer, even though it was my first year. I was just kind of coming off a tough year. The last thing you want to do is just think about missing the tournament as a senior. You just want to go play. And, uh, you know, I think it was great to play, great to play in the MLL that year, uh, especially how it, our season ended one week, and then I was playing an MLL game the next week. Personally, that helped me. Um, game was a, a big adjustment. You know, I'm coming from Dave Petromala's system and playing, playing for Coach P and, you know, a lot of the system-oriented and X's and O's stuff that we did is very different than playing, playing defense in the MLL for the Ham- Hamilton Nationals, uh, where there's there's not a system really at all, and you're kind of on your island out there and 
you know, I think it was kind of exciting. I remember the shot clock being being one of the things that really, uh, you know, surprised me the first game. I mean, I knew there was a shot clock, but just the style of play, you know, was totally, totally different. You know, every 60 seconds you're getting another shot. The offense is getting another shot at you, which was kind of cool. We uh, So we talked to Scott Rogers a few weeks ago, and because we're talking about how Notre Dame guys traditionally haven't had the strongest MLL careers for a number of different reasons. But one of the things he brought up and, and kind of hits on what you were saying is, there's nowhere to hide in the MLL because there are no, you can't hide guys within a system. If you have a, a defenseman who's not as good on ball, you can't you can't just put him off ball and let him slide because there's an attackman that's good enough usually to pull him out and go on him. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Is there? I mean, it, looking at it, looking back on everything, and, and again, what you know now. People talk about the college game being, and we ask everybody we talk to, people talk about the college game being the highest level of lacrosse because of the systems and the stuff you talked about. And then there's a lot of people that say the MLL is the highest level of lacrosse because of the athletes and, and because of the pace of the game and the shot clock. Where, where do kind of you sit in that in that world? The MLL is the highest level of lacrosse. Um, you know, I don't really think there's, there's much question there. I mean, sure, I think colleges have, have you know, systems it's a it's a different style with the shot clock totally different style um but the level of talent the pace how fast the ball moves the level of athletes um it's it's an it's the next level it's a it's an entire level up in terms of you know guys you're going against and offenses you're going against defenses you're going against goalies you're going against it is there's no question it's everybody everybody's the best player on their like i said you just took you funneled you know you funneled the the collective mass even more and took the best players on every college team over a 10-year period and that's the league right that's that, the league that's you yeah, competing like, against every day yeah it's like take the you know the top 15 team or top 20 team their best one or two players and they might be an everyday player on an mll team this is kind of the reality of it What's the first thing you remember, you know, that first first guy that dodged on you? We talk, I mean, everybody talks about playing Casey Powell for the first time. It's always really cool. Or playing against Paul Rabel for the first time. Or Rob Pinnell is, is really cool. And some people, what was it like for you? It was cool. I remember before the game, um, somebody came up to me and they're just like, you know, you, you just go. Go after him. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, and slash. And like, slash really hard. Like, don't don't worry about it. And I, <laughs> I, I was just kind of like, it took me back first. I was like, what do you mean? And then. You know, we're playing, we played Charlotte, actually. We played you guys at Hamilton. Um, it took me like a possession or two, and then I started chasing guys around, and I was like, oh, my God, this is like, this is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. But it was definitely, the, the ball was moving a lot faster. That was for sure. Ball was moving faster, but um, kind of a little freedom to, to run out and chase guys. And, you know, I don't think I had any penalties that game, so it was good. And like you said, they're, they're, no, they're not going to call a slash very easily, which was, was right up your alley, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I liked I liked hearing that. I I knew it was probably a little more you know lenient, but I I didn't realize how lenient it was. Honestly, <laughs> I was just just chop away, have at it, and it's okay, guys. Will yeah, that's what the, I, somebody said that. And I was just like, what are you talking about? And then they're totally right. So you get you go through the ML season, you have a great season. You, you're you're an all pro in your first year, which is very rare, shifted on the on the defensive side of the ball. Then you're right into Team USA tryouts, and and it takes that pool of talent that we're talking about. You go from call it 180 guys in the MLL to 100 guys. I think they had 98 or 105, something like that, at the USA tryouts. You know, what was that like as soon as you step on the field there? That was awesome. And that was like the whole summer. Um, you know, I'm obviously got the MLL trying to go as far as I can, but you've got that in the back of your mind that you're hoping to get selected to be able to try out. Um you know, got to tryouts at Goucher University. And, you know, again, I think the talent was higher than the MLL or as high. And, you know, I forget how many guys were there. There might have been 100 guys there or something. And every guy, it's not like, you know, I mean, everyone's given it their all in the MLL. But at Team USA tryouts, like in an open tryout where you've got, you know, 40 coaches or however many evaluators there are, every single guy is leaving everything they have on the field. Like you're getting everyone's best effort for three days or however many days that was. It was just, it was unbelievable lacrosse. Um, a lot of fun, extremely competitive. Um, definitely. I remember leaving that thing. Wow. Like, you know, I, I definitely, if anything, I, I got better. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm now a better lacrosse player. So. And, and, and tougher. I think we all got, I mean, you think about that year in particular, we went from, and, I, and you were there with Hamilton, you went from the MLL, 
championship weekend, which was this, it was still the Saturday, Sunday format. So yes, we played Saturday, Sunday, then you went home for a week and then you were, you had to be back in Florida or sorry, back in Baltimore on call Friday morning for USA tryouts, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, which were Friday. I think it was one session Friday night. And then we went either two or three times on Saturday. Yep. And it was, it was basically like who could, who could, still stand by the end of the weekend right exactly i remember taking ice baths in a hotel and stretching like waking up with cramps and stuff trying to eat as much couldn't eat couldn't possibly eat as much as much food as i wanted to yeah yeah so right out of school you, you get through all that process you go through the usa trials and you end up taking a, a job in corporate america and i we, we kind of talked as you were getting into that and then we've obviously stayed in touch soon you know talk about that decision to to enter corporate america and then the decision to, to basically leave or definitely leave corporate America and get back into the coaching world just recently. Yeah. So I, I accepted a job with Exelon, which is a energy company actually headquartered in Chicago. And I accepted the job at their Baltimore office. I actually accepted it in the spring. So I knew I was doing that um, for pretty much most of my spring, spring season, my senior year, kind of, I, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't know a lot about, you know, I, I knew, you know, so focused on college, I didn't know like what the lacrosse world had to offer outside of, you know, just playing in the MLL. And I knew playing in the MLL wasn't going to be able to support me uh, financially. Um, so just, I didn't even, I guess I did a little bit, but I didn't even really consider uh, just doing lacrosse full time, to be honest with you. I just thought, you know, I got to get a, I got to get a job. Here we go. College, <laughs> college is over. Time to get a job. Um, so I, I did that for this was about two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half, three years almost. And, and now I'm, I'm obviously the head coach here at Bryn Affen. had a good experience at Exelon. I think it was a good, I think you learn a lot, you know, your first job out of college, even though it being a corporate desk desk job. Um, but kind of just came to the point where I was like, I'm still young. I'm still, you know, playing. Uh, I love lacrosse, you know, kind of had an opportunity to be a head guy at, at an up and coming program. And I was like, why not? You know, uh, if I don't take this, I'm going to regret it. And, um, you know, I'm obviously very happy with my decision to be here at Bryn Athen. So you, you, you become the head coach at Bryn Athen, and you and I talked about this a little bit. You know, you, you're you one of the guys that has a lot of options, and, and you could have gone on to be – you could have been a volunteer assistant or a grad student somewhere, or, or you probably could have stepped into just a, a full-time assistant coaching role. What was the decision and, and kind of what were the factors that made you decide, hey, I, I want to be the head coach at Bryn Athen and I want to build this program to be a, a national contender in the future? Yeah, so I wasn't, you know, I was, I knew I kind of wanted to leave, leave the corporate world, but I wasn't necessarily shopping around for a coaching job. I was kind of approached about the job. Bryn Athen is, uh, you know, about three miles from where I grew up. So my parents live about three miles down the road. Came in for an interview over uh, Thanksgiving. I thought it sounded like a cool opportunity, you know, to be a head coach of a program. But I didn't really have – when I came in for the interview, I was kind of like, you know, we'll see, we'll see what they have to say, see, see how it goes. I come in. I meet with the athletic director. He tells me about the program, kind of tells me about the school, tells me about their vision for it. I tell him, you know, some of the stuff I'm thinking. And after I had that meeting, I was like, this is an, um, this is an awesome opportunity, you know kind of had full support from the school, the president, the athletic director to really try to build, build a program at such a kind of young age. I'm only 25. Um, I kind of thought that opportunity, I wouldn't get really anywhere else, um, you know, to be a head, to be a head coach at kind of an up and coming program and, you know, kind of get the keys and, and try to build this thing, man. I thought it was, it was really cool. Really cool. How do you, you're, you're a coach now, you're recruiting kids, you're, you're talking to high school student athletes about Bryn Athen. What, how do you sell the school? How do you, how do you tell kids, Hey, this is a place that you need to be outside of the known, right? Playing for Tucker Dirk. And if you're a young defenseman, you have the opportunity to learn from Tucker. It's similar to what you had with coach Petro and Tony Rest and those guys. That's the, the known of a really great opportunity. If you're interested in taking your college across or your lacrosse career further, but, but how do you sell people on the school and all that it has to offer. Yeah, so it's it's a really really nice school. It's located right outside uh, Northeast Philadelphia. It's it's a small smaller school. It's got when you drive by it, it's got a beautiful campus, and then you come on campus and it's it's awesome. And the uh, the living accommodation for the kids, they're kind of I don't even want to call what they live in dorms. Ah, uh-huh, they've got the uh, yeah the the first class world of oh, the country is- club feel in college. 
Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you know, I thought what I had at Hopkins was nice. I, you know, I visit tons of schools. I visited tons of schools. There's, I've never seen living accommodations like this for these guys. They live, <clears throat> they live in cottages, basically cottages, um, that are, that are awesome. So that side of things is great. Um, with the small enrollment, smaller school, what I, I think is really unique and what I tell parents and I think kids are very, very receptive to this is classroom sizes are very small and you will know every single one of your professors and they will know you on a first name basis. So it is very hard not to do well academically here because you have a relationship with every one of your professors. You're engaged in every single class. You know, they care about you as a student. They care about you as a person. You know, you just don't get that at a lot of colleges at very many at all. And then from the lacrosse side, you know, I think the way I try to sell it, the way I talk to kids is, you know, the same reason I'm here, the same reason I thought this was attractive is let's try to build this thing. I, I want to bring in guys that are going to make an impact on day one, not looking to bring in guys that are going to play junior, senior year. I want to bring in guys that can play as a freshman and can help build this program into something special in the years to come. So I'm excited. So you have an unbelievable campus. You have a great support staff, obviously academically and athletically. You're just outside Philadelphia. So if you're and there's so many kids in our world that go into the finance world and you're a, a quick train rider, taxi cab to Philly. So from a networking standpoint, it's it's a home run. Yeah, yeah. The train train station is actually right up the street and you know, the guys on the team and I know a lot of students here on you know, weekends in the fall or times when they have off, they'll they'll just train down to Philadelphia, kinda of go into center city and walk around down there and there's a lot to do. So it's it's very accessible to Philadelphia. So you're in, you're in the coaching world and there's also the, the club world, which you're involved in. And then there's the blend of the recruiting world, which is a, in my opinion, kind of a mess right now, right? There's eighth <laughs> graders that are committing recently. There's ninth grade there's schools that have their entire, you were recruited as a junior. I was recruited as a junior committed in my senior year. And this wasn't, I mean, we're not talking 40 years ago. It was 10 years ago, eight, right. five years ago. What do you make of the whole recruiting environment right now and, and kind of the, the club scene that is almost as much of a mess? Well, from from my situation as as a D3 coach and as, as a coach that's not necessarily recruiting freshman or sophomore, I think it's I think it's great because I think there's kids that are still developing as juniors and seniors, just like you and or at least I was. I don't know if you were. Yep. yep. Um, but I think the talent is very spread out now. And I think if this continues you're going to see a lot of parity across all divisions. Yep. D1, D2, D3, you're going to see a lot of parity because an eighth grade, you can't tell me one eighth grader is going to be, you know, I don't care who he is. You can't tell me a hundred percent. He's, he's ready to play at a, a big time school when he's in eighth grade. Um, you know, the time from eighth grade to your senior in college is arguably the, your biggest development years as a person, um, you know, physically, mentally, all, all that stuff. You, you just don't know how one kid can be in, in great shape. And, you know, he's developed very early. By the time he's a senior, he's uninterested or, you know, hasn't worked hard or just never really molded into what it looked like he was going to be. And then the other kid isn't there. And then by the time he's a senior, he's, a, he's an All-American and he comes into college and makes an impact right away. You just don't know. I just, I just think it's, you just don't know. There's too much. There's no way you can look at an eighth grader or a ninth grader and say, hey, you know what, in, in – Four years, that kid's ready to go up against Tucker Durkin and his senior year, Johns Hopkins. Yeah, there's there's just no way to tell the development. I, I just think I think it's too early, honestly, Ryan. I think it's it's way too early. Um, I think I think it should probably stop. When do you, I mean? When is the right time? I mean, you're like I said, you're a junior, you're a senior. I mean, is it is it is a sophomore year good? Is do you think kids should be recruited junior year? When when is the? I mean, there's obviously the best time would be the last day of their senior year of high school, but that's not realistic. What is, what is kind of that sweet spot in your opinion? I think junior year, I think there should be no contact um, until junior year, until junior year. I think, I think that's good for the kids too. Cause you gotta, these kids are making decisions when they're in eighth or ninth grade. They don't, they don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know, you know, they, they might like Hopkins one day. They like, you know, somewhere else the other day, you know, I think junior year is fair. I think it, it gives the kids a good, chance to grow up a little bit and figure out what they want to do rather than tie them into a commitment when they're, you know, however many years old. I just don't think it's right. And it, it becomes tough. And we talked about what I talked to this past weekend with somebody that a kid commits as an, as a ninth grader 
to a team that is in the final four or was in the final four the year before, but that program may not be the same when he's a junior and it may, and it probably isn't going to be the same when he's a senior academically, right. it's kind of a toss up, but, but, but it may not be as good as a lacrosse program when he's a senior. And when he gets his letter of intent, he may be saying, Hey, I, that's not a final four team anymore. And I want to go to a final four team, which could be a high point or a Richmond or a Drexel or one of these other schools. And that, that creates a really tough dynamic for, for anybody that's going through the process. Oh, sure. And not to mention, you know, you're banking that you're in eighth grade, you're banking that that coach is still going to be there and he's going to be there for, you know, through your time at college, which is, you know, a toss up as well. Yeah. That, coach, you, that coach might not be there. Yeah. You're talking. So if, if you commit as a freshman, you have four you commit, commit fall your freshman year that's four years of high school and that's four years of college if you don't so if you redshirt that's nine years down the road the guy who's recruiting you the assistants were more than likely not going to be there right and the assistants a lot of times are the guys recruiting you anyway yep yep so it's, yeah. it's like i said there's there's so much room for error but it's something that hasn't changed yet and who knows when it will change right yeah i don't know it'll be interesting i don't know what needs to happen but Flipping gears a little bit, you, you're a guy and, and you have a good perception on it. You're in, it, in the, kind of the sports business world, the lacrosse business world between being a full-time coach, playing in the MLL, and then you have an endorsement. And as a defenseman, that's that's kind of different. I mean, you and Kyle Hartzell have kind of set the tone there and set the bar there. You're an STX athlete. H- how did that all come about? How did you get into that world? Yeah, so I was, I was approached by STX right when I graduated, right when I graduated. And they weren't in the MLL at the time. And we ended up not really coming to coming to a deal and kind of just had some conversations and, you know, they were involved in the LXM at the time. And, you know, I just kind of felt like it wasn't the right time for me. I kind of wanted to, you know, focus on the MLL, focus on getting ready for Team USA. I, I didn't really have a ton of interest um, at the time. I wanted to see how my MLL season played out. I wanted to see, you know, how I did and what role lacrosse was going to play in, in, in my life outside of college, after college. So went through my MLL season, started trying out for Team USA, went well. And I think at that point, I kind of knew lacrosse was, was going to s- stick with me here for a couple of years. They reached back out again. I spoke to them. I spoke to Warrior a little bit, um, Under Armour briefly, and, you know, ended up coming to a deal with, with STX. And, uh, you know, I'm happy that I did a it, coming up on three years here already. So it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, you don't necessarily have a K-18 line or a Paul Rabel type line or Rob Penelope, but but they've kind of built a product more or less around you with their hammerhead and, and for a little while there, that hammer shaft. And was that something, I mean, that was, it was a, a grand slam situation with your style of play, who you are on and off the field, and then kind of the, the product that they were launching. Did you have some type of influence in that sports market, how that marketing unfolded or did it, it was just kind of all part of the puzzle. Well, they they said that from when I was talking to them from the beginning that they want to you know market me in conjunction with the the hammer line that they were just coming out with. They thought it'd be a really good fit. Um, so yeah, I did I did a little bit and kind of as they went through the process, they're you know sending me prototypes to to try out and give them feedback on certain things and you know what I thought about this and what I thought about that. So it's kind of yeah, it's a relationship with with STX and you know as they develop products, they'll at least hammer products, they'll kind of take my feedback and, you know, for what it is and, and implement some of it, I guess. What kind of advice would you have? So, so you're looking out at the kind of the landscape, a guy like Matt Landis or, you know, a guy like um, Tanner scale, some of these young defensemen that are, that are going through the NCAA right now, they're having good careers that that's going to be a bridge they cross at some point, or even if it's high school guys, younger guys that are, that are just starting their college career or even their recruiting process. What kind of advice do you have for guys like that, that, that think they want to be professional lacrosse people or lacrosse players someday and, and want to get into that endorsement world? Yeah. I'd say with the endorsement world, and I, I didn't, I'm still learning. I, I'm definitely still learning. I, I didn't know anything about it in, uh, in college. I, I didn't think I'd be an endorsed athlete after college. I would say definitely, when you start talking to whatever company or whoever you're talking to, make sure you talk to some people that are, are you're close to. So like your parents, or if you've got a mentor or a former coach or, or somebody, preferably maybe somebody that knows about contracts. Um, I actually spoke to a lot of players. So I speak to, you know, obviously uh, Paul's been through it. Brable's yeah. been through it a ton and he's a Hopkins yeah. guy and Harry and a number right. of just guys in the league, which are great resources. Right. Yeah. I spoke to both of those guys. I remember speaking to steel a little bit and then I kind of, 
got a good feel for it. So I think the first step is you need to kind of get a feel for how it all works. And I, I didn't know how it all worked. And I, th I think as a D guy, you know, traditionally they're, they're not, not a lot of flash, not a lot of marketing around defensive guys. But I think once you get an idea for what the company is trying to do with you, you know, ultimately don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, if you've, you're in that position where a company wants to sponsor you, you've done some great things. So don't sell yourself short and, uh, you know, just kind of go from there. And obviously there's always the take care of business on the field is usually, uh, oh, that, yeah. that helps. Well, that always helps. Oh yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> be the, uh, be the best defenseman in the world. Win a couple all, all MLL awards and that'll, uh, make it easier. <laughs> right. What, uh, so, so in your view, being in your shoes today, what needs to happen for more guys? Like I said, th those guys that are coming up through the pipeline, what kind of needs to happen within our sport big picture for there to be more full-time professional lacrosse player opportunities? That's a great question. I think number one, honestly, Ryan, I think, you know, more guys just have to do it. I think more guys got to make a commitment to doing it. I think there's, you know, it sounds kind of like a stupid answer, but I think there's a lot of jobs out there. And I think, you know, pretty much 90, pretty much anyone in the MLL that wanted to do lacrosse full time, they could make it work. Um, and they could probably find a good job that, that pays well and is a good situation if they really wanted to. And I, I bet a lot of guys would probably enjoy it a lot more than what they're doing. Um, so I think the first step is, you know, ask a little bit more, more of us to, to make that plunge, take that, take that step. Um, and secondly, in, ter in terms of our sport, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking MLL now. I'd love to love to kind of see our, our season shift to the fall, honestly. I'd love to see it shift away from the summer and move to the fall. That's I think, different. I think the summer is a tough time for, you know, I mean, every, every lacrosse player, every kid lacrosse player now is playing tournaments all summer. Yep. Families are vacationing. Um, you know, it's just not a great time for sports unless, you know, families are going to baseball games. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but let's move it to the fall. I think the fall rolls around and people are ready for sports. I think mm -hmm. the summer people want to relax. We want to go to the beach. Uh, they don't want to go sit, sit in the sun or, you know, sit at lacrosse games. I think the summer is for relaxing. I think the fall is for sports. And, I, you know, I'd love to see it move to the fall. What about what, what's your view on it on playing in the spring kind of in conjunction with the college season? I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think them were competing. Yeah. competing with the college game. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the move. I, th I think we need to be a different season. I mean, it, it, could, it could work. Maybe if you moved our games on, on different days, like we played on Sundays. From a player perspective, I wouldn't want to play on a Sunday. Yeah. I, I like playing on a, a Saturday. Maybe we play on Fridays. I wouldn't mind that. But again, now you get into you know, guys with full-time jobs making practices on Thursday nights. So that could be an issue. Um, but yeah. Not my opinion is the fall. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but that's that's just kind of what I think. Yeah, it's something. It, it's an it's an opportunity within the lacrosse world because you do have fall tournaments. But for the most part, it's easier for the guys that are like yourself that are coaching or involved in the camp world or club world that so many guys are. The fall is a little bit easier time, and and you're competing with football, but there is still a market there. I think for the lacrosse fan. And you're not competing with college and middle school and rec. Like you said, in the in the summer, everybody's so busy with vacations and club tournaments. In the spring, it's not much different because guys have their own games, right? right. So, so it gets tough. But the fall, like you said, there's there's a real opportunity there for the lacrosse consumer, right? And it allows you know guys guys like me and guys in the coaching world, you can do your recruiting, you know, all summer or whatever whatever you want to do. And then you know, guys in the MLL, you kind of use the summer to get in the best shape you can. It's good weather you can kind of go to work go to work in the summer get ready for the season we have a summer not that that's a you know a big part of my reason for that but i, I think it would be nice <laughs> the occasional a couple months off would be would be okay yeah well i wouldn't mind it actually <laughs> so, big so, so kind of wrapping it up five years from now you've already won another you've already won a gold medal at the u.s team in the next world cup what is uh what's tucker durgan doing after that next world games that's a that's a tough question i'd say um uh, I'm gonna go with I'm still still coaching at Bryn Affen. I'd say I'm still playing, still playing the MLL. Uh, hopefully, still playing with Team USA. Hopefully, Bryn Affen College is is a nationally recognized Division three lacrosse school. We've we've made some serious strides by then. Hopefully, and uh, things are going well. That's that's my hope. We're uh, looking forward to it, Tucker. Thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and appreciate all your insight on everything. We'll uh, I'll see you in a few weeks here in the MLL. Awesome, man. I can't wait. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right. Have a good one, Tuck. You too. See ya.
That's Tucker Durkin, three-time MLL All-Pro and the most outstanding defenseman at the 2014 World Games. It was really cool to hear him talk about playing baseball all the way up until eighth grade, so a multi-sport athlete throughout his career and, and definitely when he was one of the younger guys. Changing his commitment from Bucknell University to Johns Hopkins. We're hearing more and more of that every year. And then his perspective on the recruiting process. He's a guy that's coaching college now and how he's actually benefiting at the D3 level with all the early recruiting that's going on in Division One. Also thought his perspective on when the MLL season should be played was really interesting. We always hear people talk about moving the season back into the spring so it coincides with the college and the high school seasons. Playing the fall is a totally different dynamic that, that was pretty interesting. We want to hear your feedback, your thoughts, who you want us to talk to. You can hit me on Twitter at RyanFlanagan24 or reach out to us at LaxAllStars.